0: Before the sermon plays, I want to take a minute and tell you about a free resource that I'm really excited about. At Creekside, it is our goal to experience and express God's glory. One of the ways that we aim to do this is through personal sanctification, which is a fancy way of saying growing in our relationships with God. It's clear that this can be especially difficult during the Christmas season because it's so busy, and so this year we produced a devotional booklet that is a companion to the series of sermons we're doing, one of those sermons you're about to listen to. The booklet is filled with 150 to 200 word writings that hopefully will help you to think about the birth of Jesus and the glory of God. And you can get one of those devotional booklets for free. You can get a hard copy by coming to one of our services in the month of December, but if that's not something you're able to do or ready to do, you can get an electronic version by going to Wilsonville.church slash Gloria Booklet. That's Wilsonville.church slash Gloria Booklet. I do think those will be a great resource for you, and I hope that you will get one. And now I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Have you ever thought about uh, what we make Christianity out to be? Like, even if you're not a Christian, if you're a person that. Uh, first time in church or hasn't thought at all about Christianity maybe you thought about you know how how we view Christianity and and what Christians act like and and I, I was thinking about it this way like if you were totally foreign if a person was totally foreign to Christianity even an alien and they came down and they could just observe how you if you're a Christian live out Christianity like what would they what would they think Think it is like what would they really think was at the heart of all of it? And uh, I, I uh, don't know if you know this or or if you care really, but uh, Christianity lost one of its great thinkers this week. A man named R.C. Sproul passed away, and uh, one of the things that R.C. Sproul did so well was w- was help people. I think really grasp like the weight and the importance of of Christianity, like how. Deep and profound, it, it is. Uh, and and then I look around, and uh, even myself, I can I can turn Christianity into like a, a self help thing, you know, like well you can get better. And and I see people turn Christianity into just a set of rules, like this is this is Christianity. You 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 do this and this and this and you don't do this this and this. And then I see. You know, most of, or a lot. Let me not go with most. Let me go with a lot of the, the Christian speakers, communicators that are most famous. Christianity is just, it's like, it's this thing to help you get richer and uh, be more successful, and that's really what they, what they teach, I mean, that's at the heart of every sermon, and every spot they look in the Bible, is, is you can have your best life right now, and you can improve, and everything can be better for you, and you can have money like they do, if you, uh, will just do the right things, and, and it's, if we really were to stop and think about it, it's, it's kinda, it's kinda cheap, right, like, how we view Christianity, how we talk about Christianity, it's it's really cheap. I I think that we can see that even in uh, you know some of the movements, especially when I was growing up, and how church was done. We turned we turned Christianity into an entertainment service, you know, and it became a venue for entertainment, and people would show up and ask whether or not it was good or not, and and. The church world did an incredible job of getting people in the doors by entertaining them, and and, and we just see, I I just look, and I'm like, is this, maybe you're like this, is this what it was supposed to be, you know, I mean, is this the weight of it all, is it really no better than the self-help books? I look at Goodwill, like, I used to go once a week before we had a second kid and just wander around. I like looking at the things I'd never buy as much as the stuff I would buy, because it's like... Who bought this in the first place to donate it, right? Like, this is a cat with ice skates on and a chef's hat, like what, like why, who, why, how did this get donated, who made this, because they're a crazy person, you know, and the person that bought it is really crazy, anyway, uh, but I like to go in goodwill, and one of the things I, I always look at is uh, the the Christian books to see, mainly if there's uh, commentaries, books about the Bible, uh, and it's pretty rare that you find those, but it's always at goodwill, uh, every goodwill right next to the self- Self-help section, and I could see how the managers of Goodwill got to that because we've really made it this very cheap thing that just kind of helps us live a little bit better. And um, I noticed, like this, that uh, that my expression of Christianity—you know—I've been working. If you're around, like I've been really working to make all of our services more God-centered and less us-centered, and my sermons more God-centered and less us-centered, um, but but I still have this tendency to really cheapen it into something that just kind of makes life a little bit better. And and when I d- I, I'm really good at not doing that is actually with, with my daughter Hazel and, and someday with Hudson. And, and I express, a I think, an amazing version of, of Christianity to her because I'm really intentional um, with with my parenting. And, and so far, at two years in, I, I am really good about being intentional of, at every area of my parenting, there's not, I don't think one area where I'm just willy-nilly, like this is easier, it's always, almost always what's best, and not what's easiest, and that has led Brynn and I to, you know, some hard decisions, like with television, and how much they get to watch it, and never having a clean house, because we don't let our kids watch TV, um, and, and so there's, there, there's these, it's just difficult uh, to always be trying to do the right thing, and not just the easy thing, which isn't true of my entire life, I don't want to sound that way, but with parenting, I've done a really good job. And so, when I communicate Jesus to Hazel, it's it's so it's big to me. You know, it's just bigger because because all of like like trying to get a church to grow and trying to make people happy and all that goes out the window because I want nothing more than for Hazel and then Hudson, when he can communicate uh, in a in a better way, to to really understand how great God is and to live. Their, their entire lives for him. Nothing scares me more than my children not being in heaven with me someday. Uh, nothing scares me more. And I don't want anybody to not be in heaven with me someday. But but a lot of people, if I'm being honest, I really don't care, you know, like down in here. But with my kids, I do. I really, that's the biggest fear in my life. And, and so when I communicate the, the story of Christianity to them, it, I make a bigger deal out of it, you know. Like Hazel understands that Christmas is Jesus' birthday, and I'm really struggling to tie in why we buy presents for each other. But I'm I'm working on it, you know. Like, uh, and and when we read, thankfully, her favorite story in her Bible is is a Happy Sunday, the Resurrection story, and so we we read that story almost every single day. The story of Jesus rising again, which is really good for our family, I think, in general. Um, but she doesn't re- like the Jesus dying part, and, but it's really important to me that we talk about that, because it's it's important, and so we, we talk about how he died and came back. And, and this morning, what we look at in this passage of scripture we're going to look at is, uh, it, uh, it's, it's so weighty and so big that I think all of us, especially at the Christmas season, because it shows the importance of Jesus' birth kind of within it, it. it It's so weighty and so big that I think it should convict all of us about how we express Christianity. And if you're not a Christian, because I don't want to assume that you are, then then it should convict you that you've at least kind of, and this happens, right? You've ignored the story of Christianity. Like you've just said, I don't believe that, without ever actually thinking about whether or not you should believe it. It should be convicting to you on that level. But if you're a Christian, I think all of us should be like, wow. I take this so lightly. I take this so lightly. and and what we've said so far in in this series in the first two sermons, what i've what I've said to you is in the first uh, sermon I said that, that really when we are confronted with the glory of God, it should cause us to want to express the glory of God. When we experience the glory of God, especially this time of year in the Christmas story, then uh, then we should want to express the glory of God. And the normal response when we see how glorious God is, is is to say like, hey, God is glorious. And, and to make sure that it's coming out of us through our actions and our thoughts and all of these things. And then and then last week, I said, if we don't view Jesus rightly, then we'll glorify God lightly. And it, it, the less you understand the greatness of Jesus, the more difficult it is to, to bring glory to God, to show how much better God is than people and how great God is just in general. And this week, we turn to a passage of Scripture that, that just shows us how incredible Jesus is. And it's John 1, 14 and this is what it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now that means nothing about Jesus if you don't go back um, some 13 verses and read John 1, 1 through 3 because there's this big setup there in John 1, 1 through 3. And at the very beginning of, of the author of the book of John's gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word. Okay, pay attention, pay very close attention. To this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then we go back down to verse 14. I'll read it again. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that begins, for John, the life story of Jesus. And what we see is the word is Jesus. And therefore, we see that Jesus is, in fact, think about this now, God. Jesus is God, and I know if you've been in church circles, if you've grown up a Christian, you already know that, but I I just, I I want us to think about that idea, right? Like, Jesus, this baby who was born, this baby whose birth we celebrate 2,000 plus years later, this baby who would grow up and live this incredible life that changed human history, he's the most influential person that's ever lived, he was not just a man, he was in fact God, and in the gospel of John, John makes a big deal about this idea that Jesus is God, but I want you to know up front, and I'm not going to talk about this for very long, but we also need to remember that Jesus was a person, and and, and it's interesting here that that John says this in kind of the most uh, harsh, straightforward, kind of gruesome way, he doesn't say like the word became a man the word became a person he says the word became flesh and what John was dealing with at the time was was probably a group of people who were saying that God did come to earth but he just looked like a man he wasn't actually a person and we call that a heresy in Christian circles which means it goes outside the 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 lines that the Bible is set for believing in certain things. And and so John's dealing with this heresy, this thing that's outside of what it's okay to believe and, and still really be a, a, a faithful Christian. And so he says, look, God became flesh. That's weird, but right? We'd never say that. Like, like, we don't go to a, you know, my kids were born and when they came out, it sure looked a lot like flesh, but I didn't go, oh, my flesh, you know? Like, that's not how I worded that. I'm like, oh, there's babies, there's kids here now. They're screaming, you know? I mean, that was kind of more my attitude, but but he wants you to understand that God took on flesh, and we know that happens in the person of Jesus, and then he launches into this gospel where it's just assumed that Jesus was a person. I mean, that's easy. I think everybody almost believes Jesus was a person, but then he makes it's so clear that Jesus was not only a person, Jesus was God in human form, and he does this in a variety of ways, and it's actually the gospel, and, and probably the, the part of all the Bible that makes that most clear, but but there's just these, these really fascinating ways that John makes that clear, that Jesus was God in human form. I mean, at John 1, 1, he says it outright, right? Like the word uh, was God, the Word is God, um, and, but then there's this these other ways, like John talks a lot about the pre-existence of Jesus, so while we believe Jesus was born as a man, you know, at Christmas, John is very clear that Jesus existed long before that in the version that he calls the Word, uh, this this being that existed in heaven and created, and so Jesus didn't just start to exist at Christmas, Jesus always existed, because he's God, as John would tell you, And and so Jesus always existed and then he was born as a man a couple of thousand years ago and and then there's this statement that doesn't come out as clearly in English as it does in Greek and uh, and and it's this Jesus looks to the people and, and he says I am and, and that's how it's translated in English but in Greek it's it's better translator or better understood to be I am I am and if you would go back to the Old Testament there's this guy named Moses and he looks at God he's like hey who are you God and God says my name's I am that's who I am well that was funny you know like I am I am and so when Jesus says I am I am Like in English and in America, we're like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that means. But the Jewish people who are surrounding Jesus, they pick up stones to kill him because they know what he's saying. He's saying I'm God. Just outright, like, hey, you want to know who I am? I am, I am. And so they pick up stones to kill him because it's blasphemy to declare you're God if you're not God. And Jesus is saying he is God. And John reveals that story to us in the most clear way. He receives worship after he dies and rises again. A guy named Thomas is doubting that he actually has come back to life. Jesus says, look at my scars. Thomas falls down and says, my Lord, my God. He worships him. And and if Jesus was a good Jewish person that wasn't God, then Jesus would have said, hey, stop worshiping me. In fact, John, the author of John, tells a similar story. And he says in in the book of Revelation that he falls down and he starts worshiping an angel. And the angel says, get up, don't worship me. Really, in the book of Revelation, the focus is on worshiping Jesus, He receives worship. People want to kill him. Thomas declares that he's God in that same story I just mentioned. John goes out of his way to say this Jesus character that we believe died and then got out of the grave, what I want you to understand about him is that he is in fact God. It's, I brought this up last week and I need to bring it up again here today because uh, this leads to like questions if you're not familiar with Christianity. And it's like, well, if Jesus is God, how did Jesus pray to God and talk to God and say he was here on God's behalf? And, and, and this, this gets into this theological... Uh, Idea, word, uh, doctrine that we call the Trinity, and and so let me just tell you what we believe as Christians, and it's quite a confusing topic, and I'll make it as as really simple as possible, and then let you kind of go, wow, that's that's crazy, but at least now you'll know what they teach, and and so what we what we believe, what Scripture teaches, is that that God is three persons, He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so we believe that there are three beings. One we call the Father, one we call the Son, or Jesus, or the Word, and one we call the Holy Spirit. And and we believe that these three beings are distinct, separate beings that have, frankly, different jobs in human history. They do different things even now, but yet they are all one God. Now, this is how... Uh, it is maybe best illustrated in all the world. Um, and, and so I don't know if you can see this very well, but you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are not each other, but they is God. Um, and so uh, this is what the Bible teaches us. This is what the people who knew Jesus taught us. This is what the people who followed Jesus right after he went back up in heaven teach us. And, and so as Christians, we believe this. And it's uh, it's a very confusing topic because it leads to this other question like, how can three beings be one? And I'm not sure that we can answer that in a way that will satisfy any of you, especially in a really short period of time. Um, but this is what the scripture seems to teach. It in some ways goes beyond our our human understanding, um, but we can grasp it, at least in a chart, right? Like this We can understand, even if it's difficult to understand how it's possible. And and so when we look at Jesus, this is crazy. When we look at Jesus, we actually look at the life of God in human form. That's crazy. F.F. Bruce said this, The word, God's very self-expression, who was both with God and who was God, became flesh, and he donned our humanity save only for our sin. God chose to make himself known finally and ultimately in a real historical man when the word became flesh. God became a man. That's crazy. And John reminds us back in 1-1, something we talked a lot about last week, that, that this Jesus character was a, a major part of creation. Like the world and everything in it exists because of death Jesus, the word who became Jesus. That's a stunning reality. And he made his dwelling among us which is more literally he pitched his tabernacle or lived in his tent among us. This points back to the, the Old Testament where God would actually dwell in a tent in Exodus 25. It says, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. That's God talking. And so the Jewish people had this tent that went everywhere with them, a big tent, not like the one that's on sale at Bymart right now, you know, but a big tent and this tent that God would show up and he dwelt with the people. He lived with them. And, and now God is saying, like, hey, I came Christmas in a new and better form. And I, I lived amongst people. That's crazy. And, and in this temple, God's glory would show up in these incredible ways, and he'd fill up the the, t- the tabernacle, the tent, and then he'd fill up the temple. And, and it's like John wants us to know that in the person of Jesus, what we talked about last week, the glory of God shone brightly. In Exodus 40, 34, it says the glory of the Lord filled with the filled the tabernacle. And what John is saying to us is that in the person of Jesus, the glory of God filled flesh. That's incredible. Starting at Christmas, God chose to dwell amongst people in a new and more personal way, a way that we can understand because we are people. What separates Christianity in large part from every other major religion, at least the religions that believe in a deity, is that all other religions teach that man has to work their way to God, and what Christianity teaches is that God came down to be with man. That's incredible. It's one of the reasons I like our religion more than the others not just that i believe it which i do because of logical reasons because the work that god's done in my life but i just like it more just on a on a theoretical level because all these other people are trying to follow these sets of rules in order to work their way to god and and john comes along and says hey god came down to you in the person of jesus it's incredible, and and here, oh, man, I was, I was in the shower, and I was really thinking, like, how do I illustrate that, and, uh, and, and I, I couldn't come up with anything good, the only thing that came into my head was a golf ball, and that didn't seem very good, and, and I was thinking about, like, what if, like, the maker of a golf ball became a golf ball, and I just kept thinking about that, and it wasn't going anywhere, this is how preaching goes sometimes, like, that is a horrible <laughs> illustration, uh, and, and then, I, I don't know why, but I, uh, th- this is better, I think, Um, so, at Christmas, uh, I've told some of you this before, but uh, at Christmas, I become a different person as far as how our house is decorated, and I, I don't like clutter very much, and that gets uh, more and more true the older I get. I used to just, if you knew me as a youth pastor and you saw my car, you're like, wow, I don't, that's different than the chat I remember, but like now, I don't like clutter, but then at Christmas, I think I said this last week, I like I want all the clutter. Like I want everything out on every shelf and 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 if it's a a toy that was broken when I was like, you know, that I got when I was two and I broke it, but I still want it on our mantle, you know, and I think I told you this last week and Bryn is against that and so most of the stuff stays in the garage, but we don't get rid of it because someday she's going to come around and let me put it out. I said this about nativities last week, right? But but it's true of like everything, like every C's candy box and every little knickknack that I ever received, but the one thing she lets me put out is my napkin holder that I made in shop class when I was about 13, same year that O.J. Simpson uh, was uh, not convicted of murder because I was in shop class when that uh, when the jury came back. I remember it quite vividly, and I, I made this and. It's now this is depressing to tell you but it's one of the best things I made in shop (laughs) class If you could have seen the rest of it, here's the tree on the other side I had some help from my grandpa which made it better than it probably It would have been like a square and I would have been like that was a christmas tree Um, but she lets me put this out every christmas And I I was thinking about you know, like what's it like for god to become a man and what it's like is is if Me I, I created this napkin holder and it's like, if I put a bunch of napkins in it that can represent people for us, and then I became a napkin. <laughs> that's what it's like. And, and you think, well, that doesn't make any sense for you to become a napkin. Right? Like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's kind of what you're thinking. Like, that is illogical and unfathomable and crazy. And and that's what John is telling us about Jesus he's saying he made the earth he made the people that exist in the earth and then he became one of them and we say well humans are so much better than napkins sure to us right and that's just because we're a better creation the napkins were created by somebody but they don't have infinite power to create something like a human being but God did, and he created you, and you in some ways are like a napkin or a napkin holder if you want to be a little bit better. You are the creative work of a being that is better than you. God made the earth, he made what's in it, including you, and then he became it. And it, it, frankly, it's like, what? Like, how can a person become a napkin? Well, how can a God become a human? And when you read this, it's, it's just so easy to be like, well, sure, God became a man. I've heard the story before. But it's such a big deal. It's so much better than self-help or a few presents that we buy people or getting rich or a set of rules. What John is telling us is, is frankly like mind-blowing information. Okay, hey guys, hey, I'm about to tell you a story about a guy named Jesus. He was a human, want you to know that. But I also want you to know that this human was God. Now, if if you hadn't grown up in America where where Christendom exists, you know, where 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 we where we have Christianity kind of just Driving culture for most of our human history—that's what—that's what that means. Like it's driven our culture, right? Like there's churches all around us, even out here in the northwest. I mean, we drive by churches on an average drive. Uh, much of our our, our very uh, constitution, our, our constitution, and and what we're founded on is driven by some biblical ideas and things like that. Some of the early uh, American. Eh, people were, were Christians. Most of them probably were Christians. Uh, I mean, this, it's like a part of us, right? So we kind of like, we just become immune to the idea. But if you were the first person ever to read, hey, here's what I want you to know about Jesus. He was God in human form. God came to be with people. God became a person. You're like, really? <laughs> I mean, is that science fiction? Is that real? I should explore that more. Is that an actual thing? Is there any proof of that? I think that that would be a logical question. What's the proof? John, hey, what do you, why do you say that? I mean, what could lead you to that belief? But I, but I would guess, I would guess that if we were just reading that for the first time, that our response would not be to think about Christianity the way that we always do. I'm going to be like, sure, yeah, I'm a Christian. Or, oh, i got to follow all these rules. Or, I should really pray because I need more money. And that would be like the only expression. That's a good thing to do maybe, but like the only expression. And, and so what I want, I mean, the first thing is just like, just think about it. Like, God became a napkin. It's almost as ridiculous of a statement. Because we're a creation just like a napkin, right? We're a better creation, we're a more important creation. We're the creation that has the likeness and image of God built within us. But we're still a creation. So I want you to just think about the weight of that. And then John says this other incredible thing that's, that's just as powerful. John 1.14 continues, We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Jesus is glorious. And I I just think about this now. Just consider this for a second. Do you have any friend in your life that you would call glorious? Nobody, right? Like that's not a normal description of a person. You might say, I got a really cool friend or I got a friend that's so nice. Like they're just so great. And you might have a friend that's super helpful. You might have a friend that's super awesome. You might have a friend even that's super good looking or super strong or super athletic. And, And this is how we describe people. And John is writing the story of his friend's life. And he says, this is God in human form. We would never say that about anybody we know. We might say this is Satan in human form about some people we know, but we'd never say God. (laughs) This is God in human form. And guess how I want you to know him? As glorious, because I have seen his glory. You wouldn't say that about anybody that you know. I go, I've seen how glorious they are. No, you, that's not a description that we use of people. And this is how he describes a guy that he walked around with for a few years doing ministry. I have seen, we have seen his glory. Glory. It's interesting, I didn't even know this until I was studying for this sermon, but in John 12, 41, it says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Isaiah lived thousands of years before Jesus, which points to the fact that Jesus is God in human form, but I just thought that was an interesting verse that's important, but I want you to think about this, because we can look at the Bible and go, oh, the Bible, whatever, but this is a man who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who hung out with Jesus, who was friends with Jesus, saying, this is God in human form, and I have seen his glory. It's a pretty big deal. And, and what's so fascinating is, is when you read the book of John, you would expect, if you knew nothing about Christianity, if you, if you had not heard the story before, you would expect all of these crazy, miraculous, glowing, bright events from Jesus' life. But he doesn't tell the story quite that way. He shows a bunch of signs and some miracles that show that Jesus is glorious. In fact, at the first sign, this is what John records for us about Jesus turning water into wine. He says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This word translated glory... uh, it's a word that that's, uh, we've talked about, right, but uh, it, it translates an Old Testament word, which is kabod, and, and this word is used for the manifestation of God's disclosure. I like that. That was a new way. I'm seeing all these new ways to define glory, which I said at the beginning of this series is a, is a hard word to define. It's an easier word to see, much like the word beautiful. But I mean, I'm seeing all these new ways, and I really liked that. I mean, just the manifestation of God's self-disclosure. We saw the same thing in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 last week where, where that author said, like, hey, look, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Now John says, we've seen it, we've seen it, I've seen it. I hung out with the guy and I saw how glorious he is. And in John's story, he reveals to us the gloriousness, the difference of Jesus, how much better Jesus is than a a normal human, a human who isn't God in in a variety of ways. And just a few of those, I mean, through Jesus' moral perfection, we see that Jesus is perfect morally. He never makes a bad decision. He always does the right thing. He's always obedient to the Father that is in heaven, always 100% of the time while he walked the earth. We see that he's an incredible teacher, and Matt, after next week, I'm preaching one more time on Christmas Eve, and then Matt's going to do a three-week series on how Jesus is the greatest storyteller ever, Matt's going to show us some of those stories, but we see it in his teaching, and the people are like, who is this guy? Where does he get his authority to speak in this way because what they were used to was people who had people ahead of them who had taught them and people ahead of them who had taught them and it trickled down and so they taught on the authority of some guy that taught them and Jesus shows up and he teaches with the authority of God because as John would reveal he is God and then we see it through his miracles and his signs he heals people he feeds people It's incredible to read about the life of Jesus when you're actually thinking about what somebody is saying about the life of Jesus, right? Not just going, well, I've I've heard before that he fed 5,000 with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. But to be like, a man fed 5,000 fish Men plus women and children with just a few fish and a little bit of bread. I mean, that's incredible, right? And then there's this story that John reveals to us and the other gospel writers reveal to us called the Transfiguration that we talked about last week where, where maybe the author of this book is up on a mountain with them and, and Jesus' humanity is peeled back in some way for a minute and they see Jesus shining brightly. They see the glory of Jesus all that's incredible but John here does something that I think is is so valuable because at the beginning of his book he's saying look this is God in human form we have seen his glory and now he connects something to the glory of Jesus that's it's kind of like a bait and switch you'd expect you know like bright shining lights or fire or smoke as we see often in the old testament but this is, this is what John connects it to in the last part of this verse. I'll read it all together. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The language of this in Greek, which is what the New Testament is written to, connects the glory and, and the full of grace and truth. And so what John is saying is like, hey, we've seen the glory of Jesus. And let me tell you one of the ways we've seen it. Is in how gracious he is. And how perfectly he represents the truth. D.A. Carson says the glory of God manifest in the incarnate word. Was full of grace and truth. Now there's a couple of different options on what John is connecting this to. And frankly he might just be saying it because he just experienced the, the grace of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. But I think that he points back in these two words to something that took place in the Old Testament, something we've already read about in this series, talking about the glory of God. In Exodus thirty three, eighteen and nineteen, there's this conversation that I mentioned a couple weeks ago between Moses and God. And there it says, Moses said, Now show me your glory. He's talking to God. And the Lord said, I will cause All my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name. The Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. As I said last week. Part of the glory of God. And we don't think about this. If we think about glory at all. But part of the glory of God. Is plain and simply the goodness of God. And so John says look I've seen. I've seen his glory. And I think part of what he's saying is. I've seen how just good. Good. Jesus is. But then this, this other part is just so interesting because, in, in kind of that same conversation between Moses and God, Moses says, Show me your glory. God says, I'll show you my goodness. And then, and then later, God passes in front of Moses. And here's what we read in Exodus 34, 5 and 7. And at 5 through 7, I think it's right up the alley, at least, of what John's saying. And I think it's actually what the book of John is trying to connect to. In Exodus 34, 5 through 7, then the Lord came down in the cloud. And stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger. Notice this. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Notice those two words that connect so clearly, right? I mean, that first word, love, is this Old Testament word that's the best word in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word, hesed, and, and hesed is a word that, that translates like a lot of the good things that you read in the Old Testament. So if you're like, oh, I really like that God is loving, it might be the word hesed, or loving kindness, it's often translated. Or covenant love is how people understand it. And what it is basically is it's it's this love and graciousness, this kindness of God that is based on the promises that God has made and not based on on human merit or what the people had done to deserve it. It's much like the idea of grace that we read about in the New Testament. And and so Moses looks at God and God passes in front of him and immediately we see that, that God loves people, not because of what people have done, but because of who God God is, in His very nature, rich in love and abounding with grace. And then we see that God is faithful. And in the book of John, truth is a really important uh, concept, uh, a fairly kind of confusing concept. I mean, at one point, Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's really interesting, what does it mean to be the truth, you know, I mean, what is that right there? And then in John 18, 37 through 38, it's at the very end of Jesus' life, and he's with this guy named Pilate, and Pilate has his fate in his hands, and Jesus brings up the topic of truth, and he says this, everyone on the side of truth listens to me, and then Pilate says, what is truth? It's this really profound moment, and John's already kind of shown us Jesus is the truth. But the part I think that Jesus brings out or John is bringing out here about Jesus is not kind of this broad idea of truth, but something more narrow that's wrapped up in it. And that is that Jesus is perfectly faithful and what he shows to us is the perfect faithfulness of God to humankind. God created us. God wanted a relationship with us. God made a bunch of promises that says, Look, I'm going to give you a way to remove your sin and to be in relationship with me and to spend eternity with me. And then Jesus came. And in Jesus, John saw the gloriousness of God in part by seeing how gracious and wonderful and loving and faithful God is to people. I think it's interesting that people are searching for something they can hold on to, right? I mean, just look around at our culture, just get on social media, and everybody wants something that they can cling to, because, because, because what we take as truth is shifting so fast, right? I mean, all around us, it's shifting, and, and what people believe today will be different tomorrow, and John, a couple thousand years ago, says, you want something faithful? Well, I've seen something faithful. I saw Jesus. I saw God in human form. Now look, I just, this is what we, this is what we just need to get in our heads. Like, Jesus is God in human form. He's perfectly glorious because of that. And one of the ways that it was seen is through his incredible grace and truth. And, and I think about this. I think about Grace. And how incredible it really is. And, and and if you've experienced it. If you know the grace of God in your life. Uh, then you know how attractive it is. You know how glorious it is. And uh, for me. Let me just tell you why I'm on this stage today. Why I uh, am a pastor of a church. Why I try to be a dad that is intentional. Uh, why I sometimes am a halfway good husband. Uh, why I uh, live a life that's that matters at all it's because i saw the gloriousness of jesus grace and i grew up in a christian home i grew up believing in jesus and believing and let me just i should have told you this part of the story but we think that grace is culminated in jesus dying for the sins of people and then rising again uh, let me step back and say, so look, you, you've done wrong things, I've done wrong things, we've done bad things, evil things. And God looked down from heaven, Jesus looked down from heaven, and he said, wow, they're stuck in that sin. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth, he was born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life, morally speaking. And then he, he died at the end of it, the most brutal death the world has ever known. And that wasn't just because it was a worse physical death than other people have experienced. It's because it was a worse spiritual death, whereas he hung on a cross. All of our sins hung upon his shoulders. In fact, it was like he was suffering all of hell for all of us. And so Jesus did that, and then he rose again three days later. And, and, and so when I was 17, I, I mean, I knew all that. I believed all that. I, I grasped all that. It was like a part of my life. I went to church, but it didn't mean that much to me. And then there was somebody in my life that I just felt like I needed to tell them some of the things I had done wrong and I went to that person and I told them and that didn't matter at all. But that night I got home and what happened is I realized how wretched of a person I can be. And then all of a sudden, I, I just thought about Jesus dying for all of it. Every lie and every indiscretion and every mean word and every lustful thought and every jerky thing I had ever done I thought about the fact that as Jesus hung on a cross he was paying for all of that and then the gloriousness of God showed up in that room and I spent hours crying because I had seen how gracious and true God was in the person of Jesus and it changed everything about me And I have not been perfect or lived up to the standard that I want to live up to after that. But I have never been the same. And I think when we think about Jesus, it's so easy to just be like, I've heard it before. But when John opens this gospel and says, look, when Jesus came, let me tell you what came. First, God came. Second, the glory of God came. And third, the grace and truth of God came. What we see in that opening prologue to his incredible gospel story, that, the one that John writes, is we see that God is glorious in his grace. And what we really see is that if we want to think about how glorious God is, then we must think about the gospel story, the story of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection. And I'm telling you, I've said in this series that when we experience the glory of God in the Christmas story, we should express it and when we view Jesus wrongly, then we're going to glorify God lightly. And and here's what you need to understand, that if you're really going to glorify God and express His glory, then you must understand the gloriousness of the gospel. I would say it this way, God's glory is experienced in God's grace, which is explicit in God's gospel. And so this Christmas, I know it's easy just to think about the birth of Jesus, but you can't separate the birth of Jesus from the fact that that birth was God coming to earth and he came to earth to suffer and die on your behalf. And you cannot separate the gloriousness of the God we serve or the Son from the gloriousness of the entire gospel. That Jesus would come and he'd die for our sins and he would rise again so that we might spend eternity in heaven. And so as you spend the next week and a couple days thinking about Christmas, I want you to remember that God's glory is experienced in God's grace which is explicit in God's gospel. And I want you not to take this Christianity thing lightly, but to feel the weight of it, the weight of God's glory coming to earth in the person of Jesus and offering us his perfect, amazing grace. I want to pray that you'll do that. Pray with me. Lord, I'm as guilty as anybody else at at just thinking about how you became a napkin And acting like it's no big deal. But I pray God. That that we. All of us. Who are here this morning. Those who would listen online. God I pray. That that would change God. That we. That we would not. That we would not express Christianity. In this. This really cheap way. Because we would not think of Christianity. In a really cheap way but we would think about the weight of of god you becoming a person and then not only you becoming a person but you god then giving up your life for us who are people lord i I just i just don't want us to go through especially the christmas season but our lives treating the story of your gospel like it's unimportant or unvaluable or not cool, and so I pray that you change us, Lord, if that's us. I pray, God, for any non-Christians who are here who will listen online later, God, the people who have not given their lives to you, I pray, God, that they would give their lives to you, but if they won't, I pray that it would at least consider what John is telling us about you, Uh, that you, Jesus, are, are God in human form and that you, Jesus, are the gloriousness of God Because of your incredible grace. And and God at least caused them to reject it. But I pray they would not dismiss it without thinking about it. And I ultimately pray they would give their lives to you because of it. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for the gloriousness of your grace and your gospel. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.